Hi everyone, before we get started, I want to give a huge shout out to our friend Layla Oweda, who is an independent podcast and audio producer. She is working on the production team on season five of the podcast, She's All Fat. Check that out. She's been very helpful in helping us grow our podcast, and I would like to direct people to her website, Layla Oweda, L-A-I-L-A-O-W-E-D-A.com. If you ever need a podcast or audio consultant, she is a great resource. Welcome to the Queer Arabs Podcast. This is Alia. This is Nadia. And we are the Queer Arabs. And we are here with Zaina. Do you want to introduce so, yourself? Yeah, do you want to introduce yourself? Say, like, whatever you want about your background, yeah, sure. what you do. So my name is Zaina Arafat, and mm-hmm. I am a writer. I write fiction, and I write nonfiction. And I have a novel coming out in June, on June 9th, called You Exist. Just to interject, um, something happened with the audio there. The title is You Exist Too Much. Yay. I love that title, yeah. by the way. Yeah, that's Thank a you. very powerful title. Um, can you tell the listeners a little more about that book? Yeah, of course. So the book is set between the U.S. and the Middle East, specifically Jordan, the West Bank, and Lebanon. And it's, this, it tells the story of a Palestinian American, of a, well, of a queer Palestinian American woman who is tracing a pattern of love, of relationships, um, and against the backdrop of Arab and Muslim culture. Amazing. So, all while coming to exploring her relationship with her um, family as well. Cool. And what's the release date of the book? Just so people know when to check it out. Sure, yeah. So it comes out on June 9th. June 9th. Um, Can you talk about the significance of the title? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So the title is, it comes both from, it it exists on two levels. The first level is, it it speaks to the narrator, the fact that the narrator exists in spaces that are deemed unacceptable, um, as a queer Arab woman and um, kind of feeling not allowed really to exist as she does. And the second more macro level of you exist too much speaks to her Palestinianness and the um, fact that you know Palestinians have repeatedly been denied the right to self-determination, their right to mm-hmm. essentially exist freely. That's the next level of the title. I was reading some of the interviews you did surrounding this book, and um, besides, like, of course, like, we're always excited to see queer Arab and Arab American representation, um, but also I I love how messy this character sounds. That's something I really... I'm a pretty messy person, um, but also I think surrounding a lot of um, conversations related to, like, uh, representation and positive representation and, like, representation politics... um, it can get very like siloed into this idea that we need to be making these aspirational characters or um, creating images that are supposed to like show a mainstream audience that we're like against stereotypes or something. But it, it's so narrow; it, it doesn't allow people to 
exist as we are in like so many nuanced and complicated and problematic ways and just be portrayed as humans like any other humans um so i'm kind of curious what your take is on um, some of the conversations you've seen regarding queer and arab representation in literature specifically and what you're hoping to see more of what you're hoping to um contribute to the mix i intentionally created this character um in a way that allowed to be messy to embody contradictions not have to like spokesperson or role model or, you know, representation of Arabs and Arabness that people could point to, um, you know, and I I think that that burden of representation and, um, you know, having to to really consider that any time you create a character is its own form of oppression, because, of course, it doesn't allow you to doesn't give you the freedom to explore sides of humanness and humanity and just like darker aspects of a person that you know that are real uh, because you risk misrepresenting or misportraying Arabs or in this case you know queer people as well and so I think that I really wanted to subvert that burden or challenge that burden and to say like no I mean Arabs and queer people as well, and queer Arabs in particular, exist um, as humans just as anybody else, and and are multifaceted and are complex and have like darker sides and have brighter sides and have like I mean, so that was intentional, and I I think that it's I mean of course there's a lack of visible Arab characters in literature and less queer Arab characters in literature, and so. You know, when I look to represent, well, did you ask me, like, what representations I look or what? Uh, I, I don't know. Just, like, what's your take on what's out there, what you hope to see, what you hope to yeah. contribute? I mean, I hope to see more messiness, honestly. And I've seen, yeah, I mean, I would really, uh, that's, that's something that um, I think is just really important. And part of literature, people turn to literature to see themselves reflected in characters. Right, and so, mm-hmm. so you, I think that it, to create a messy character is a more kind of accurate depiction and representation of what um, a human being in the 21st century looks like. So that's you know, oftentimes, for example, like I'll hear people say, um, "Oh, you know, she's." She has some. She has some unlikable characteristics, right? And it's like, well, yeah. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> that's the whole point, right? Like that's. I also didn't want her to be a victim. Like that was really mm-hmm. important to me that she not be a victim. That she herself be, you know, capable of hurting people, and that she at the same time be. I mean, there's a reason why she does so. Um, yeah. But to be to have flaws. I wanted her to have flaws and to just. Yeah. Be allowed to have them. It's a good statement of like not there's not just like one group that has the right to be chaotic like we all have the right, right, to be right. Like, like 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 white men are not yeah. the only people who get to like have fucked up characteristics <laughs> and still and still be like represented on TV right, as someone you're supposed to empathize go with go through yeah. life in like a natural human way see a male character portrayed um, and you know as 
in negative ways. It's just like, oh, he's so it's so realistic, it's so deep, it's so rich. See a female character represented in those in negative ways or in on you know, darker ways. It's like she's basically you're basically punished for that. Yeah, yeah, and then adding these all all these other intersections. And then I feel like that, like that, also ties to the, the you exist too much. It's like these characters. Yeah. If you're a marginalized character or, or real human that's existing in the media, it's like you get to exist here, but not without all the like flaws and messiness and ex. You can only exist in this very tight box of perfection. No, exactly. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. You have to walk this very narrow line. Um, the feeling of being sort of stifled as a person with intersectionality. And not having space right. Yeah. Mm. I am really happy you're doing this and like I can't read I can't wait to read this. Um when you were growing up, were you able to find any representation that spoke to you? Arab, of any sort. Arab yeah. or queer Arab or anything that really spoke to like what you needed or or are you realizing like in retrospect there was a lack of what you needed. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I, there was such a lack of what I needed because mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think I had, I saw myself reflect, or at least I had representations of Arabs because I grew mm-hmm. up in an Arab household. My parents are immigrants. My mother is extremely tied to the Middle East and mm-hmm. we were there all the time. Yeah. And so I had an idea of what an Arab should be. None of it, I mean, often I didn't fit with that because I just, you know, I didn't, I was, I was very, um, partly because I grew up largely in the U.S., and, but also I think just by virtue of my identity, myself being mm-hmm. not straight, and so, and I, you know, rarely, in, I mean, at, when growing up, I rarely encountered other Arabs who were not straight, um, or at least weren't openly straight. And so you probably I, knew some. <laughs> <laughs> I had a sense of what Arabs should look like. I had no sense whatsoever, though, of what... Um, I, I had no reflection of you know, what a not-straight person looked like, yeah. um, what a bisexual person looked like, what a gay person looked like. And I think that for that reason, um, especially in the embodied in an Arab, as an Arab, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, but even anywhere, really, in any form, um, mm-hmm. until I was in, like, I don't know, late high school, early college, when I went with the elders, you know. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> although I didn't watch it, because I, I downloaded some episodes, and my brother found them, and was like, what's this? Like, oh, I oh, oh, how did they get there? How did they get on their computer? Whoops. <laughs> exactly. Oh, God. I'll be honest. I've tried to watch The L Word, and I couldn't stick with it because the characters were so annoying. But yeah. I also recognize I also recognize that, like, for some people, like, it came exactly when they needed a certain type of representation, and yeah. it was pivotal for them. That's what we had. Yeah. Time, and that's why you like it. Yeah. Um, but because well, it just... I don't still... But, but yeah. you no, you feel attached Glee. to it the same way I feel attached to Glee, for instance. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right? Like, there's a difference between things being good and things, like, coming at the right moment in our lives that they showed us something we needed to see, and they were pivotal for that reason. Yeah. Um, and then over time, like, better things come out, um, and, like more complex characters so I I felt really alien it just alienated from that entire well 
any form of a queer community, any form of like queer literature. And mm -hmm. so I think I, I'm certain um, that that's part of what drove me to write um, a queer character. And, yeah. You know, because looking back now, you know, you're like, I, I'm like, why did I do this? <laughs> you know, it's hard to remember how desperately I wanted to see a queer Arab woman. Yeah. And it's trippy, at least for me, like once you do find something, only then it becomes clear what you were missing before. It's only like when the when the thing exists, then you're like, wow, okay, that really sucked not having anything like that, like um, growing up. I'm kind of interested um, in a previous podcast. Uh, with um, Amina May, uh, we, were, we were talking to other guests mm -hmm. about like what representation they identified with or didn't identify with in media growing up. And I, I really, I thought this was only a thing that I did, but apparently it's it's pretty common. Like people who didn't see direct, like realistic representations of themselves, whether it's because they were queer or because like they were Arab or mixed race and grew up in a mostly white area. I don't know, just they, they just couldn't see themselves. Often described identifying with like sci-fi or fantasy characters or like aliens or like girls with powers or that kind of things. Mm -hmm. Right, that's really interesting. I wonder, um, I mean, I guess that's, that makes sense in some way because at least in that, it's, I don't know, you can kind of project yourself easier and fantastical in mm -hmm. some already formed an art that you don't adhere to. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah. surreal enough where you can like kind of... Any kind of difference can mm -hmm. be projected onto this. Yeah, and you thing. can kind of like make the character what you need at the moment exactly. in a way you can't with like maybe too realistic of a, right, um, there's no a person. Like yeah, yeah. Inhabit that, really, if you don't already. Yeah, totally. So I guess you kind of touched on maybe some of the reasons why you wanted to be a writer or a fiction writer in particular. Um, but like when in your life did you decide that you wanted to make this your career? Okay, so I, you know, I always had writing ambitions, although growing up in an Arab household, you know, creative writing wasn't, a, it wasn't, it wasn't that it was discouraged. It was just not an option. It wasn't a, it wasn't a thing in the ether at all. Mm -hmm. And so I was studying other things besides English literature in college. And I was working in a magazine when I graduated and I, um, I started writing journalism or I wrote an op-ed in response to the 2006 war in Lebanon between mm -hmm. Hezbollah and Israel. And it was a personal essay, basically, and I ended up submitting it and publishing it in, in, in the Christian Science Monitor. And from there, I just kept writing um, creatively. I kept writing these essays, and then I started <laughs> writing fiction because I felt as though I wanted to subvert, subversively, I think, um, I wanted room for the messy characters, right? Which you don't really have as much room for that in um, nonfiction. Uh, but in this case, I just wanted to create a character that was 
so messy and yet at the same time like contradicted a lot of stereotypes around Arabs and Muslims and not just the main not just the protagonist but also her mother and her father and her family and you know I wanted all these characters to look different than what Arabs on television or Arabs in the media look like. Um, I wanted them to challenge those stereotypes um, subversively. And so that's how I decided, that's how I arrived at fiction. And I wanted to take my fantasies and like make them real, which is something you can do in, in fiction. So make your character, yeah. give her a job cool job that you've always wanted you yeah that's um, a way to make something exist yeah, <laughs> totally. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm actually really curious in the shift this is like um, I don't know it's really interesting to me seeing why people switch between fiction and nonfiction, and vice versa um, when you say like making room for messy characters would you say that has to do with you you can only say so much about real people who are actually in your life in essays, right? Like, there's there's a privacy boundary. Yeah, and also, like, you can't explore the inner psyche of their behavioral patterns. And that's to do as well. Gotcha. I think that was the main, um, the main push towards fiction, or the main thing that attracted me to writing fiction was that ability to really, like, navigate the depths of somebody's... Um, inner trauma, somebody's yeah. inner wounds, somebody's inner thoughts, and to interrogate behavioral patterns. And, and I mean, the character is Palestinian-American, and her mother is Palestinian, and I wanted to kind of consider also how, um, first, how first-generation Arab-Americans and Palestinian-Americans in particular can inherit inherit trauma from, you know, previous generations. And just the dynamic between the first generation and the immigrant generation in the context of um, Palestinians, you know, Palestinians in the diaspora. So right. I thought, I think that it was easier somehow to arrive at those, that exploration through fiction because it allowed me to, um, it allowed me to put the characters in situations where these, where these, um, I guess, traumas and their connections between them would manifest. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that that makes. No, there, no, that makes a bunch it, of sense. It totally does. Do you have any like examples you can share about how you addressed that um, at this point? I know it's like we're recording before. Not that you have to give spoilers. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Sorry. I, that's a good question. I, um, I think, do I have any examples of how I address that? I mean, yeah, in the, the character. opening of the book, yeah. I think, well, no, maybe not the opening of the book. I, I would say that, um, there's a chapter later in the book uh. that is essentially rendered from the mother's almost rendered from her point of view, but also it's just primarily about her. And then it segues into the daughter, who's the protagonist. And you can start to see how the mothers, having grown up, you know, between the Six-Day War yeah. um, and, well, between the Nexa and the Six-Day War, and, um, and just 
living under occupation right. and um, how all of that kind of shapes her behavior and the way that she has been interacting with her daughter throughout her life. And so that chapter is really yeah. the one that, um, that is about that. Gets into that. Trauma. So yeah. Something mm-hmm. that I, you know, I started to really get into while writing this. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's such. Yeah. That's like such a wide topic. Because I, I mean, I feel free to say more about this from your perspective. Um, I always think it's. I think the word intergenerational trauma or in- inherited trauma is has always been weird for me because it's real. It like it's a scientifically proven psychological thing that exists. Like trauma that your parents and even previous generations went through. Like does affect people um but then there's always like the question of like am i claiming experiences that didn't happen to me um and sometimes when you have like your parents standing next to you reminding you of all these things that you haven't experienced and haven't had to experience directly right like Mm -hmm. and on, on one hand like it's still part of you and on the other hand like there's always that comparison like you had it easy. You'll never have to experience this. Mm. This isn't really your trauma to be feeling, even though you are feeling it. I hear exact. I feel exactly the way you feel. And in fact, I think that um, in this case, when I think about inherited trauma, I don't even. That's the wrong phrase. What I mean is to say um, how somebody's trauma, mm-hmm. like, particularly the trauma of a parent can help you understand why that person is the way they are, right? Totally. And can help you arrive at love for that person and empathy versus, like, frustration, perhaps, right? Yeah. Because if a person is traumatized, then they often act in ways that are frustrating and unhealthy um, and toxic, you know? And in this case, the goal was to understand that trauma of the previous generation that's beautiful uh, yeah that is um that relates to something i read it we we read in one of your recent interviews about like um the uh, how how sometimes a person will find themselves in this pattern of like seeking attention or approval from someone who's like more uh, unattainable and that kind of like ties to maybe what happened during childhood of like seeking more emotional support from a parental figure um and I thought the way that you said it in the interview was so powerful like the way that you were able to make that link it made so much sense and then how you tied that to like that style of parenting to okay maybe this is the these are the aspects of this trauma that led to that parenting style. And let's try to understand that. That's like the, that really became the driving force, I think, of the book. to understand precisely that. Um, and also, I suppose, how, like, in, the, in witnessing the character trying to understand her mother, mm-hmm. we're also witnessing how the mother's behavior has, impacted and I guess you know that's where the like link the intergenerational aspect comes in how her how the mother's behavior has impacted the daughter and what that has done to to the way that the daughter functions in the world yeah Um, yeah so yeah 
Um, I guess stepping back a little bit from this novel. So this is going to be your first novel, right? But um, in terms of like all the other writing work you've done uh, throughout your career, is there anything else that you'd want to highlight or point out or tell us about that seemed like a pivotal point? Um, in my career or just a piece of writing? Anything you've written. Yeah. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wrote, so one thing that I've, um, I'm also writing an essay collection, and cool. the title essay from the collection is called Our Arab, and it's a piece that I wrote, it's an essay that I wrote for The Believer in 2018 that's about, that this, it's about my father's experience as a foreign exchange student in Wyndham, Minnesota in 1953, mm. and his return to Wyndham 50 years later, and it tells yeah. the larger story of how anti-Arabism and anti-Muslim sentiment grew in the United States. Um, because oh. it wasn't always the case that, you know, those things existed here. In fact, they didn't. Mm. So that piece is one that I'm really, I love that essay, actually. <laughs> Sound there. I just really like yeah. that. I feel proud Yeah, of that. no, it's okay to love your own work. Yeah. what you create, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If I'm, like, then, you know, on some level... Why else would we keep working on it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, know. I was telling that to some students the other day. They were like, "Do you think that this uh, this writer was like genuinely curious about that, or they just like wanted to write an essay?" I was like, "Why would you write an essay unless you were really curious about what you were writing?" You like? loved, you <laughs> loved what you were. Doing. Yeah, I don't know anyone who's getting paid that much to write essay. Right. <laughs> like, like, right? Not worth the cost financially. So. Mm. Um, no. But anyway, so that's. Uh, that's something that I, it's a very different style than the novel, um, and it's nonfiction, but I, I really enjoyed writing that, and I mean, I certainly learned a lot. Um, yeah. Of what happened. That's interesting. So, like, he didn't, like, there wasn't that much racism when he was there the first time? It was none. I mean, like... I, Partly because there were no, they didn't know what Arabs were. You know, they, mm. would, they didn't have people like Russian and Bond, all those kind of like out there telling them like, oh, Arabs are terrible, Arabs are bad. I mean, there were different people that were maligned, different stories of people, right? Different, right. different minority groups that were um, maligned. Yeah, sure. yeah. Um, not Arabs, and that came later as mm. uh, various events. The, the various incidents in the U.S. and elsewhere actually changed people's attitudes. So. Yeah, it's it's kind of mind blowing to think how recent some of it. Is. Like was, like yeah. like I don't know. Like in, I feel like there's definitely been waves in recent history. You know, yeah. but it's it's also a trip to just think like, oh, this this hasn't been going on forever. No, exactly. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been going on forever. Right. It is relatively quite recent. Yeah. 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 And for, like, our generation, I guess it's just been a given. Like, there's always been this this kind of attitude around us, but I guess... Yeah. I mean, it was already happening. Always, yeah. Yeah, since, like, the late 70s. Um, yeah. And then, of course, by 2001, it just exploded. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it will ever go away. 
Mm, we can, we can help. Open. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk more about your teaching? Yeah, I will definitely talk about my teaching. Yeah. Like... So, I love teaching. Teaching is my passion alongside writing. I've been teaching for nine years. So when I went to graduate school, I went to Iowa for my MFA. And um, yeah, basically, you know, <laughs> I was working. I had a full-time job that was in global affairs and I was writing all the time in the morning and then I would get to work and also continue writing and that wasn't good. So I applied to, Emma, to my to Iowa, um, not really knowing what an MFA program was and I got in and I moved, I left New York and went there. And part of the deal for me was um, the program would be fully funded, but I had to teach in order to, you know, I guess, get my full funding. And that's when I started teaching. That was nine years ago now, almost. Mm -hmm. And I really, I just love teaching. I taught, I taught, I've been teaching writing um, to, I teach at the, at the School of the New York Times primarily, but I also teach at a number of other workshops around New York City. I taught in Egypt, in Eritrea, in Jordan, um, in Iowa. Wow. I taught at the University of Iowa. And so, yeah, teaching for me as a writer is so great because it just, first of all, I mean, you get to assign things for the students to read that you also, you know, are interested in reading and then you can discuss them and, you know, critique them and then critique work of students. And through that, you know, everybody in the room grows as a writer when you're critiquing a piece of writing, including the teacher. Um, and so that's what's so wonderful. It's also a realm where I don't, where you're, you can bring yourself to the table. I mean, you don't have to like compartmentalize, like here is my professional self and here is my mm -hmm. personal self. No, your personal self informs your professional self in teaching um, to a large extent. And I, I just love that it's also, you know, an extroverted activity when writing is so introverted. So I think teaching, teaching for me has been really just, has kept me going as a writer. And then like different mm. groups in terms of like diversity or yeah, such diverse groups of students, which has been really rewarding as well. Oh yeah. Um I, at first I was just gonna kind of second that like sometimes the creative process can be so in your own head that I feel like everyone needs like whether it's teaching or whatever else, I don't know, just being being having other brains mm -hmm. giving you feedback mm -hmm. and um, ideas and exchanges and um, that could be so important. And then I was also curious, like, in um, all your teaching internationally um, with different types of students, like, what have been your, the primary differences you've noticed um, in the way your students in all these places approach writing? Um, yeah, that's a good question. What has been the primary difference is that there is no difference in the way that students approach writing. Like, that's actually... What I find really amazing is that students in Cairo approach writing in similar ways to students in like New York City. Mm -hmm. um, and they explore, you know, they interrogate consciousness and um, characters with as much sort of depth and nuance as, um, you know, as anyone. It's just really interesting 
to me the similarities. But I think one difference, I suppose, is um, is one difference is the level of maybe risk taking to an extent in mm-hmm. writing, where I think in the middle when I taught in Jordan and Egypt and and Eritrea, you have to really push people to take risks in form and in like subject matter. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. maybe culturally more reserved in that way. Um, but yeah. then when you push them, they do. You know, when you encourage them to take those risks, they do. Also, they don't all bring laptops to class <laughs> and paper. I'm interested either in your work as a writer or a teacher, um, what types of reception and feedback have you gotten? And has there been anything that's really surprised you? In my work as a writer and a teacher? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so my, the feedback I've gotten as a teacher, honestly, <laughs> I, I've been thrilled with the feedback I get as a teacher. And sometimes, yeah, it does surprise me because people will say things again, I don't know, it sounds arrogant. Mm. I I like when students tell me that the class like changed their life. Which yeah. just surprises me, you know, because I just it's amazing to me how much a writing class can do for a person. I know mm-hmm. that it can. I've been there myself. Right. I've had a class that's changed me you know, forever. So that's really surprising. And then the feedback as a writer that I've gotten is surprising. I mean, that's not always as positive at all. I think one thing that I was really surprised by when I started to get feedback, for example, on this, well, let's let me think. I, I think initially, you know, when I was writing this book, for example, the feedback I would get was like kind of push harder and go deeper into this character. Interesting. And, um, and I really, I mean, there were days when I would just cry because I was so, I don't know, Either I just felt her so deeply, which was really strange just because I was creating her, but at the same time she was like existing in her own right. Um, Or I would be frustrated because I couldn't access her, you know, and like I really wanted to and I would just bump up against these walls. And so that was the feedback that was always surprising to me, like every time I would workshop parts of the book and I would be like, I would just have to go deeper and deeper. But the second bit of feedback that's been surprising has been since the book has been getting, you know, the, since the galley has been out and I've heard some people have called her unlikable, like as I was saying, and that I was shocked when I first heard that because I was like, wait, what? How do you not see that she's A, I mean, you know, just realistic, but also vulnerable and has, um, like, there's a there's a reason behind her behavioral patterns that I was hoping was coming through, you know? mm-hmm. and a lot of people see that and they find her like, you know, lovable, tragic in many ways, sure, but like, I think, I think that it kind of speaks to what we were talking about earlier, where like, um, especially female characters, but also you know, Arab characters, queer model, queer characters have to bear the burden of some of positive representation and when and that can be or or at least adhere to people's pre-existing sort of assumptions and stereotypes and when they don't right when they don't see like a submissive arab character mm-hmm. female arab character mm-hmm. um who like follows all the rules and it's like or when they don't see like a mother wearing a hijab right like they become unsettled and 
like makes them uncomfortable. That's what I've started to discover. Mm. Yeah. That's the best way. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it, it doesn't surprise me that much just because, like, you know, society. Um, but I'm sure that's that's frustrating when you work so hard on developing a character that probably speaks to a lot of people and is um, psychologically realistic and you can empathize with. And well, some people are some people are just aren't going to see that because they've already decided they don't want to like, see that. Misunderstand. Yeah, 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 they won't even like give the character a chance. They'll just like come in with judgment right off the bat. No. Without like yeah. getting to know the character that you've put so much time into. <laughs> no, yeah. it's true. Yeah. I like love it when they do give them the time. Like they are understanding that sort of. Stuff. And you're like, okay, you know this person like I do now. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, yeah. a lot of her, I think, un, you know, unpalatable behavior, like action, stems from internalized homophobia. Yeah, which is real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's real and can manifest in some really dark, ugly ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about any writers or artists who have influenced you? Like, there have been so many. It's, it's um, I guess, um, writers that have most influenced me have been okay. Contemporary, well, less contemporary have been Proust and Flaubert. I mean, mm-hmm. I I think that. Madame Bovary was a character that I derived a lot of inspiration from when creating the protagonist of my novel. And other writers have been uh, Jeanette Winterson, uh, Maggie Nelson, I love her work. Uh, Carmen Machado is another writer that's been really me and that book I love. Zadie Smith, in fact. Mm -hmm. I love her essays. Um, I know, they were. She's written a lot about intersectionality and how it manifests in language and also in like within families and I've just found that to be really useful to me mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in writing this. So awesome. yeah, I mean there's been so many, it's always such a hard question. Yeah, like pick so, just a few. Dark green yeah. of course has been very influential. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. Nice. Not to not to put a like these are the only ones bracket on it, but um, it's 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 nice to see like what artists other artists are looking towards and looking up to and taking bits from. Yeah. What's next for you? Either as long term as you want to answer that question, but um, like what are some things you're looking to explore or try out in the future? Well, so yeah. I mean, I, for right now, I'm really, I'm writing a lot of essays, um, both because I'm writing a collection of essays, but also because when you have a novel coming out, again, you are kind of, a, it's helpful to write essays around that as well, mm-hmm. and well, that's yeah. sort of what I've been doing, and then I'm also, so I want to really keep going in that direction, I think, for a little while, writing essays. I love the form. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm also interested in writing another novel and exploring. Um, I feel like I'm supposed to say that I'm interested in exploring like screenwriting or something. You don't have to. Not everyone yeah, is. There's no, there's no formula. <laughs> yeah. 
if yeah. somebody wanted to, you know, if, if that was an option, like somebody was like, hey, can you write a script for this? If there's any producers listening. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm like, I'm Hit her up. Yeah. Um, I think, like, yeah, so they, right. Anyway, so um, I do love writing dialogue, actually. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I dated a filmmaker for a while, and so I, I did get to try my to try that. screenwriting and seeing how that works. Cool. Have you thought about doing theater too? No, I did when I was younger, um, yeah. but I have not thought about it since then. You know, I'm really what's next for me is I'm hoping to see what happens. I think once the book mm. comes out and what directions it takes. Yeah, me. yeah. Self, I'm going towards like just writing essays at the moment and like starting on or not sense. starting on the next novel. I've already been working on it, but like mm-hmm. getting back into that. Right. Um, what's the next one about if you want to say can you talk about it I'm still figuring it out <laughs> okay okay yeah it's, it's more around visual arts around oh intriguing visual okay. artists, so, yeah. oh cool amazing um, well thanks so much for doing this for talking to us today yeah. uh where can people either find more of your work or order the book Sure. So you can order the book from bookshop.org awesome. and it's called You Exist Too Much and you can pre-order it now, but it comes out on June 9th, which is maybe when podcast will be out. So you can Around, yeah. It. Yeah. And um, you can, I would say, I, I, you know, I recommend ordering it from bookshop.org. Of course, you can order it from Amazon. You can order it from Barnes & Noble, from your local independent bookseller. Cool. Um, so... Yeah. Awesome. And how can people connect with you on social media? Like follow yeah. you and stuff. Follow me on Twitter and my, I mean my DMs are always open <laughs> and I love engaging with um, listeners and readers. I uh, am yeah. at it's my name at Zaina Arafat. That's awesome. my Twitter. That's how we got in contact was me tweeting at you. <laughs> be like, hey, do you want to be on this podcast? I thought that was so great. <laughs> I was really excited when you tweeted that. Yeah. I, I showed Nadia. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, what's funny is that I didn't. I, it's funny because, like, for my whole life, I've been looking for anything called queer Arabs, you know. And, um, and I yeah. saw this when I, you wrote me. I was like, perfect. <laughs> there we go. Hey. <laughs> it's in the title. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We started this podcast, like, a little over two years ago. And. That's the whole reason we started. It was like, where is where they is googled this? queer Arabs or yeah. like looks at queerarabs dot com. And there's like there's nothing up. there. Maybe we should just maybe, get in and put something there. Maybe we should just there. do yeah. something with that. That's so <laughs> awesome. That we did it. I I yeah. really am so I just love that you've done that. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah I mean it's kind of what you're good. saying. Like if you don't see something, you're just like, I guess I'll go make it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's enabled us to talk to really cool people. amazing yeah. people. Like, I, know, I was looking at your site and like you've had such great guests. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the Queer Arabs, and write to us at thequeerarabs at gmail.com. And all episodes are on our website, thequeerarabs.com, and on most podcast apps. Mm-hmm.